0: Every. And welcome back for a brand new episode of Collider at Ladies Night. I feel like everybody out there knows how obsessed I am with the wild. So You can all probably tell how happy I am to have Rain Edwards on the show. Hello. Congratulations yet again. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> we also have a bunch of other cool titles that I'm very excited to get into today. But before we even do any of that, I have not warned you. We play dicey questions to start on Collider Ladies Night. I have a dice tower behind me. Mm-hmm. Eight random questions you get three rolls on the tower and whatever i roll for you that's where we start
1: oh
0: (laughs) all right it'll be fun i swear first roll now all right we are gonna oh you got a good one you got a nice easy one to start here number eight is pets do you have any pets
1: um my family just has like dogs like we're very much so dog people um my and i fell in love with pit bulls through my um through my aunt's dog who passed away she's my favorite but yeah, I'm very much a
0: dog person. All right, you got to roll number two now. Okay. All right, this time around, we're going with a number two. Here is a fun one. So I am obsessed with looking at everybody's IMDb trivia page, and yours is limited. There's not much there. So <laughs> if you got the opportunity to put a super random fact about yourself on that page, what would it be?
1: Um, I'm kind of double-jointed. Okay. Yeah, I can turn my thumb around, which is really weird.
0: How did you discover that? And can we see a demonstration?
1: Yeah. So like, here's my thumb. and I can oh, it.
0: oh, my God.
1: <laughs> um, and I think I discovered that in like elementary school because it was the first time I've heard of it because I met someone else that was like extremely double jointed.
0: Um, I don't know what I expected, but I didn't think it was going to look like that. I know. It's pretty weird. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> all right that's a very good one there you got one more roll in the tower <laughs> i'm never gonna unsee that <laughs> i'm so sorry no it's okay i'm totally down for it i'm happy we landed on this one because i asked it to some of the cast at the junket and i didn't get to ask it to you this one we're just calling the wilds do you make your bed every day never make it or is it a chaotic mixture of the two it's a chaotic mixture of the two all of you do that almost all of you do that really oh thank god
1: because I remember when I had that line I was like damn am I really that crazy like (laughs) but
0: yeah no I'm a chaotic mixture all right I didn't realize how much that stressed me out until I watched the show but I gotta respect every form of, of bed making approach to bed making so all the power to you so we are going to get into the meat of it now. Mm-hmm. I always start here on Collider Ladies Night. What is the the movie, the performance, the personal experience, you name it, that first made you say, I have to be an actor?
1: Cinderella with Brandy and Whitney Houston all day, every day.
0: So you you see that and it inspires you. But it's, it's one thing to say, that looks cool and I want to do it. It's another to actually believe in yourself and your ability. So do you remember when that kicked in, when you really thought, like, I've got the ability to go the distance?
1: Um, my family just really believed in me. So in seeing those things and I said I wanted to do it or whenever I would, like, act out those different scenes, especially from that movie, because I would sing all the songs, go through all the scenes, and to it was just really important to have a support system that was like, yeah, you can do this if you wanted to. Um, so I think that that just kind of coincided with it.
0: So you have the family support there. What is the key to kind of bridging the gap between making the decision to be an actor, having them behind you, but then actually starting to make it happen? Did you have anyone there who kind of knew the industry, someone who swooped in and gave you some pointers?
1: Literally, it was just my mom helping me out.
0: Like, honestly, I'm just like,
1: God made a way. And, you know, because it doesn't make any sense. It actually doesn't.
0: Like, it's just things happening,
1: you know, along with hard work.
0: What did she do for you in the early days that you think is instrumental to, you know, maybe booking your first role or, or getting that first opportunity?
1: She literally picked us up from Baltimore, Maryland and drove across the country by herself with me and my other two sisters to L.A. So my mom's pretty incredible. And uh, she's helped pay the way. She was like submitting us for uh, like commercials, auditions and stuff and things like that because she knew we wanted to do it. So yeah, she helped a lot in getting my start.
0: So I imagine you were quite young when that happened. And, yeah. you know, I always think like it's it's a really big move to, to pack up and move to LA. And you want to go there with all the faith and confidence in the world. But when you get there, it's not like it just happens with a snap of a finger. So was there kind of that lull period where you were auditioning and like you didn't book anything? And if there was, how do you kind of keep your sights set on forging forward and not lose that belief in yourself?
1: Well, I think, you know, I'm grateful because my mom was very upfront about it. She was like, if you want this, you're going to have to work extremely hard for it. There are thousands of other people that are wanting to do the same thing. So you need to make sure you have all of these different skills so that you can stand out. You need to really put in the hard work. And um, with that, it was just like, okay, like, either I'm going to do it or not. And it's also possibly going to take a long time to, to get there. Like a lot of people see me now and they're like, Oh, you're 25 and you have all these different things. I'm like, I've been doing this since I was a kid. You know, it's a lot of like hard work and perseverance. Like I remember I would be going to school. Um, and then after going to school, go straight to performing in theater at this, uh, state theater in Baltimore, Maryland, and like go and do that. And, um then go back to school the next day you know so having that understanding that it was going to be hard work from a young age really um helped out with that
0: all right so speaking of hard work here i don't think you could have harder work than basically kicking off your career with a soap opera so <laughs> look Looking back, is there anything about having your first significant on screen gig being the bold and the beautiful that now makes you think, I am so glad I started uh, with all of that on that show because, you know, it gave me an invaluable skill set now?
1: 100%. I can memorize lines like nobody's business. <laughs>
0: I would think you know? so.
1: Like we, you'll not show you film eight episodes a week, and you film two episodes a day. So you learn a lot about how to like it, and it's crazy because you don't even realize it's happening. But because you're just so in the momentum of things, you just start picking up the lines a lot faster. I remember there was one time where I completely forgot they added a scene that day, and one of the um, interns comes and she's like, "Hey, here's the scenes, the sides for the scenes today." I said, "Huh?" And then I looked at it and I was like, "Ah." Oh, it's going to take me like 30 minutes to learn. And I learned it in 10 minutes. And I was like, oh, okay, I got it. And it helped a lot, especially in the wilds too, because season one, we filmed so far out in location, like the turnarounds were crazy. So, and we were working such long hours that I literally just started learning my lines
0: day of because I needed to get sleep. Oh my, now I have to ask for the secret sauce. What, what part of the, the dialogue memorization process do you think gives you the ability to learn your lines that fast? Um, I think, well, I always
1: read through it beforehand. Like you get the episode because you're just excited to read it. And because of the soap opera world, my brain just automatically starts memorizing even when I'm just reading. So then when it comes, you know, after I've done my character work too, I go through it one more time, whatever. And then when the day comes, I kind of already halfway know it. So then I just am kind of repeating it word by word, like line by line, I mean. And then as I go... From line to line, I kinda stop before I even finish the whole scene and I go back to the top to see how many I remember. It's kind of like a counting game (laughs) I play
0: with myself. Makes me think a little bit about studying for test when I was a kid and I would, I'd be able to cram really well and ace the test, but then like, poof, it would all go away. So yeah. does that happen to you? Or are there any particular lines over the years that have just like, they're never leaving. They're always there.
1: Yeah. Well, the poof happens when you have a one-liner and I've, this is across the board with a lot of actors. Like. You can have a whole paragraph and memorize it better than a one-liner because a lot of times one-liners are not connected to what's going on. So you'll say they'll say something about you know have someone will have a whole paragraph about a dog and then you'll make a random joke about this person that has a dog, but it's like not connect. It's just a whole thing. So one-liner is usually hard or ones that are like super full of technical words and information that you know nothing about but are pretending that you do
0: mm-hmm. that totally makes sense it's it's making me think about studying another language in school and i was good at studying it but because i didn't use it after and make it part of my life that's yeah. probably a big reason that just went away. oh yeah it just goes i literally because i've studied like spanish
1: and i'm learning french but I have literally had conversations of both Spanish and French, but if they, if you're not practicing them, it just goes out the window and like, I'll forget. I'm like, I knew I used to know what that meant, you know,
0: (laughs) and now I need to like piece it all together. But when you, like, it's the same thing. Yeah. Let's kind of bridge the gap from the bold and the beautiful to some of the next shows that you booked. What is it like going from that to shows like MacGyver and uh, Snowfall? Because, again, I know the production of a soap opera is extremely unique, a one-of-a-kind type thing. So when you made the move to those shows, was there anything that made you go like, huh, the production process on MacGyver and Snowfall is much easier? But then also, is there something about those two shows that you know proved to be different and also a challenge where you had to adapt to that way of working?
1: Yeah, uh, I definitely coming out of the soap opera world into the primetime world, I was like, man, I'm so much more prepared than like a lot of people because I can learn my lines like that. And then it gives me more time to do character work if I wanted to, you know, like all this stuff. But then something I did learn that was the flip side, the challenge of being in primetime was that because it's longer shooting, even just for like one scene or like one arc, you have to sit in those emotions a lot longer than you do when you're in the soap opera world. So soap opera world, I could get through having a baby crying all day, breaking up with my boyfriend all in one day and then go home and be like, ah, did that, leave it there. But in prime time, you do half of the breakup in one day and then you have to finish up the rest tomorrow. And I remember when, uh, I was filming uh, the movie Hellfest, I did that, I just remember sitting, I, was, I went back to my hotel room and I think at this point I had been crying on set for like two, two days, two, three days. And I went home and I was like, why do I feel so sad? <laughs> and I was like, oh, this isn't me. This is from my character earlier, but because I have to keep going back into it, my body is like, when are we on, when are we off? So
0: you really have to find a process for yourself
1: as to, like, easing yourself in and out of those places that I didn't necessarily have to do in the soap opera world because it was all done in one day.
0: For what it's worth, everything that went into that Hellfest role paid off big time. <gasps> I'm obsessed with that That movie is so my type of movie. Really? Yeah. It's, oh, my God. It's like a lot. I'm a big slasher fan. Here, I'll cheat, and I'll bring back one of my Dice Tower questions because, obviously, I had one on there for Hellfest. <laughs> Where do you draw the line with haunted houses? Would you be the one to basically walk into the Deadlands? Uh, no, I would not. <laughs> um,
1: and that's what's funny. Because right before I got this, before I got that role, I was like, no, I'm not doing haunted houses. I'm, I grew up in a rougher area. I might punch somebody. I don't know what's going to happen. And it's all reflexes. But my friends have been trying to give to go for years. And then one of my friends tricked me into going to Netherworld in Atlanta? Have mm-hmm. you ever been? I have never been, but now I want to go. It's like one of the best haunted houses in the country. Like, and it is pretty lit. I actually love going now. But I she took, it tricked me into going. I went, I had a great time, and it was all right before I had the audition for this movie. And then I got it, and we went, but I I would never when we did the Deadlands thing about like signing away your like, people to touch you. I was like, that's the thing I've always drawn the line at. like, no one can touch me.
0: Smart move. I did it once. I'm glad I tried it. And and I walked away and I said, never again. <laughs> it was actually less about the touching and it was more about the storyline that went along with that experience. I'm like, I don't really like that. I don't need you to see that story. I don't think yeah. i to do this again.
1: Yeah, well, I saw some stuff that was really, like, crazy at some of, like, the more crazy haunted houses where they can, like, grab you and push you around yeah. as a... <laughs>
0: That's not for me. (laughs) Yeah. That is officially not for me anymore either. Uh, One more question for you about the, the process of making some of these shows. And in particular, I wanted to look at MacGyver and just the opportunity to be a guest star with a multi-episode arc, because I've heard so many different experiences in terms of how that arc is pitched to you at the beginning and then what it turns out to be. So do you sign on for a show like that, knowing like this is the plan? Or is it one of those situations where you do what you sign on for and then you got to like sit there and wait to see if they call you back for more?
1: Yeah, well, it's kind of like a mixture. Um, in my experience, it's been that they're like, "Hey, okay, we want to bring you on for this amount of episodes after I book the role," and I'm like, "Okay, cool." Um, but you kind of see where it develops as you're go as you're developing with it. Like, it's you don't know from jump, and sometimes the showrunners don't know, but they will. Like with MacGyver, they had it planned for a certain amount of time, but then they really loved me, and
0: they were like, "Let's extend it." So, um, yeah, it's kind of a, a toss up, so to speak. All right. I'm eager to jump into the wilds, but I want to add one more question about an upcoming project. I think this one is shot in the can, but I have to ask, what is it like working with Bill Burr as an actor's director? He's so cool. He's so (laughs) cool.
1: He's one of the coolest guys. I just went to go see him at his Netflix as a joke special. And like, he's and i i'm not gonna lie i was nervous because i'm like i'm coming onto a comedian set they're gonna roast me all the time like i and like i can roast but i'm like i'm not trying to roast my boss like i'm not gonna do that but he was the coolest guy the sweetest guy had the greatest time filming with him um and i hope to film with him again but even just seeing him the other day like it's it's so cool and it's just weird that like I can text Bill Burr. And <laughs> and he's just like, hey Ray, what's up? And I'm like, You're Bill Burr. Like, what's happening? But he's the coolest, the coolest dude. And I met his wife, Nia. She's super sweet. Like the I freaking love him. He's amazing.
0: None of that surprises me. And it makes me so happy to hear I can't wait to see that movie. It's gonna be good. Old dads, by the way, for anyone who does not know. All right. Let's talk about the wild. So probably no surprise here, but the cast chemistry is hands down one of my favorite parts of this series. So looking back even to season one, when did you realize that that was something special? Does that present itself during the beginning stages, like table reads? Or is there, you know, like a moment on set where everything just clicks and you're like, shit, like we got this. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that like
1: in reading the script just like from Jump, I remember reading the script and I was like, this is good. It was a really, really good pilot. And um, I was super excited to go out for it because I hadn't played a character like Rachel before. Um, and I remember then when we finally all got together, everybody had the same you know, enthusiasm and was like, this script is a really good script. Because, you know, Hollywood, sometimes you just get scripts that are kind of like just fillers for the moment. They're not like in depth all the time. And to get a script like that, we were all just stoked to have such great material that you didn't have to kind of do much work as an actor to figure out where the character was and to portray them as a human. So it was pretty incredible. And then when we were filming it, we were like, dude, this is gonna be good. So we were happy that everybody really liked it.
0: Your instincts were right on point. So in an effort to highlight at least two individuals here, and also because I love getting into the different varieties of uh, processes we have out there, of everyone in the Wild Ensemble, whose process is most similar to yours? Where the second you hit set, you kind of just fell into step. But then on the other hand, who has like a completely different approach to the work and maybe challenged you to adapt and maybe even adapt for the better? I would say... I think Sophia's process is
1: similar to mine because we both were child actors. So we have a lot in common when it comes to just like working on set because we've been doing it since we were a kid. Um, But then at the same time, she's kind of the most different from... It's really weird. Like, she's very similar in how she just comes on set. She's like, all right, this was happening. But I'd say that she is the one that surprises me the most when I see her work because I'll... like. I told her that this season too. I was like, every time I read your lines and I'm seeing, like, reading the script, I imagine it one way and I come to set and you do it completely different and so much better than I envisioned it to be. And so I constantly, I've learned from Sophia a lot. So yeah, she's both the most similar and the most different, I would say.
0: I love her vibe. I feel like with the arc that Fatten experiences, it, it needs an actor like that in the role to make that turn convincing. And she yeah. really excels with that. Yeah, she's great. All right, so Rachel specifically now. One thing that really struck me about her experience this time around is that she she's suffering with two losses, Nora and the loss of her hand, but the loss of her hand is never really presented as a big issue. And I found that really interesting and I found it kind of powerful. So, what kind of conversations do you have with Sarah and Amy at the very beginning to, you know, make sure you're all on the same page in terms of why that's her approach to what happened in the previous season?
1: Yeah, well, as far as like, you know, the the grief that she's experiencing with Nora, it is, that kind of takes dominance, but it also is reflective of Rachel's character of avoidance, so to speak, where she just suppresses everything. Um, and it's interesting because the focus was more so on Nora, but we didn't really talk about the hand, so to speak, and what that symbolism is for her. But I found, I kind of found it in the journey, so to speak, because rachel gets to this place of peace and just letting life happen that uh to me was kind of how she viewed her hand now and it was very interesting because sarah pigeon had asked me one day on set she was like hey do you think that rachel like would consider herself like Unable to do things like, or just like disabled, like would she put that on herself of like looking at it in a way where it's a negative, so to speak. That's what I'm trying to say. It's like, would she look at it negatively? And I was like, I don't think so. I really don't think that she would anymore. Maybe season one, Rachel would, but.
0: (laughs) Exactly what I was just thinking.
1: Yeah. Season two, Rachel, I feel looks at it as, this actually has given me more power than even having my hand. And like, she might have to do life a little differently, but that doesn't mean that she's not capable of doing amazing things. But with her having both hands, that's kind of all she saw that she was able to do. She limited herself where it's, it's like this weird, I, this irony of like having her hand, she was actually more limited and unable to do things than not having it. Cause like, you see all the stuff she does in
0: season two? Like, without a hand? So like... She she does more than ever. Yeah. She does, she does more than ever, and she has more of a positive impact on the group than ever. I'll put the, the spoiler warning up for these next two questions I have, because I did want to get into that, because episode seven, and this is one of my favorite scenes of the entire second season, there's this group scene where where Rachel is... She's like literally the person standing in the middle of the conversation being exactly what every single person around her needs in that moment. So, you know, what, what for you playing a beat like that, is she channeling in that moment to find hope and determination when literally everyone else, like including Dot, which is always a surprise to me, including mm-hmm. her when she loses it. So what's, what's having her tap into that then?
1: I think it's just what she was learning about having faith like having faith that everything is going to be okay. And a lot of times when life is really stressful, those different things come to you to distract you from the blessings that are around the corner. And I think that that's what she was learning along the way. And kind of like in a weird parallel with her diving career, she was distraught and everything. But weirdly enough, I mean, crashing on an island and being stranded with these girls has been probably one of the most difficult things she's been through but maybe one of the biggest blessings for her.
0: I could see it I could see it in every single one of them. And <laughs> it's part It's part of the reason why the show is is uh you know it's a thrill to watch but it's also really inspiring and hopeful. Yeah and then it makes me feel weird because Gretchen did this on
1: purpose and you're like
0: I see the benefits that these girls are having, but this is really messed up. You might want to rethink your operation. Speaking of the ending, I kind of gave Sarah a a version of this question, but I want to spin it around for what Rachel looks like at the very end when you all run out to the roof. Because, like, I know at this point you guys don't really know what lies ahead for the characters, but when you have to play a moment like that on set, what it What is going through her head so that she is giving the right expression at that point? Do you think that she is on that roof in a position where, like, she's totally devastated that they're stuck on an island again? Or is there any of that, that faith and that determination that even though they're stuck, they're going to power through? I think she's just like,
1: what's going
0: on, <laughs> to be honest?
1: It was like, wait a minute. Because, you know... Leah has, like, known something is wrong for yeah. the longest time, whereas Rachel and a bunch of other people are, like, no, this is, like, real. We crashed. We got rescued, you know? So I think at that point, it was just, like, okay, you're entering into this whole new world. Who are these boys? Leah seems to know what's going on. I trust Leah, so I'm going to follow her wherever, but... I think it's just kind of a, what's what's actually
0: happening. It's incredible that that didn't fully hit me until you just said it, that almost every single person on that roof will need to be debriefed on how, like how crappy their situation has just become. Yeah, like none (laughs) of them
1: know, except for Leah, how bad it is. And I think Roth too bit, but everybody else is like, who are these other teenagers? Why are we all here? And, this, and why is there music playing?
0: Oh, God. Here, here's another question, just for fun, to look ahead. Of all of the members of Twilight of Adam, which one do you think that Rachel would benefit from learning from and spending the most time with going forward?
1: Hmm. You know what's interesting is I don't know who she would really learn from, so to speak. She's learned so much about like just being at peace. I feel like she might be able to give that to somebody though. Yes. I feel like she might be able to give that to uh Kieran or
0: Scotty cuz they're both really hot-headed. <laughs> that they are. Like they Scott- Scotty needs some chill, but I'm yeah. I'm very much enjoying Reed's performance in yeah. that respect.
1: But I think that the like Because Rachel used to be like that. Like she used to be the hothead. She used to be the one that just went off at the drop of a dime. And now she's kind of learned to take a minute and look at everything. Um,
0: Yeah. I don't know. This makes me so excited for what's to come. I can't wait. So we always wrap Ladies Night with a second game. And you could probably already tell, thanks to my Hellfest enthusiasm, but I love horror movies. So we are going to mash up The Wilds with a horror movie-like scenario. I'm specifically going to give you a zombie outbreak right now. Oh! I will set the scene. You are on set shooting a season of The Wild, and all of a sudden, a zombie outbreak happens. I'm going to give you some descriptions, and I want you to tell me which, like, cast member, like the real person, not the character, best suits this description. Oh, okay. First one is who is the most likely to be the last person to catch on and not realize that there are zombies on set?
1: It might be Mia. It might be Mia or, or Tanner. That's what I would say. Yeah, it might be Mia. But Mia's just like, she's so just kind of like in the moment
0: that she would probably just like, what's happening? Then turn around and see all of it, you know? All right, not half bad reason for that to, yeah. be, uh, that to be her answer there. How about... Who is the most likely to be the first to sacrifice themselves for the others?
1: I'd say Tanner. He's such a sweet guy. I would say Tanner.
0: I only got to talk to uh, him and Reed for eight minutes, but I'll (laughs) tell you, I could already get those vibes Yeah, I'd say Tanner. All right. here's, Here's one I feel bad asking, but who is the most likely to trip and fall while running from the zombies? Let me think. Let me think.
1: I don't know why Reed came to mind, but I don't know if that's accurate. Like, I but I feel like he'd be so hyped about what was going on. No, he'd be gone. It wouldn't be Reed. It wouldn't be Reed. He'd be gone. Um well, Sarah Pigeon did trip on our first day of shooting in the very first scene, so I guess
0: I'll say Sarah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, here this is one of my favorite kind of zombie movie tropes. Who is the most likely to get bit and then try to hide their infection?
1: Oh my god. I never thought about that scenario ever. Um, most likely to get bit and try and hide their infection. Zach. Because he might freak out about the fact that he got bit and then be like, what do I do? But he would let me know. He would let one either me or Aiden know. <laughs> He'd be like, help me. <laughs> I kinda love that. He's probably gonna be mad at me for saying that. <laughs> He'll be alright.
0: Alright, I got two more for you. Who is most likely to be the last one standing? Mm, last
1: one standing Aiden? How come he's gonna surprise you, like he's just like he's a smart kid. Oh, don't tell him I said kid. <laughs> You're all still kids <laughs> it might be Aiden. Uh, yeah now um yeah, I think I think Aiden, or maybe it's just because I'm like in the Henry world. you know
0: what I mean? Henry would definitely be the last one standing. Oh, I'd believe that. It's obviously Henry and Dot. (laughs) Yeah, Henry and Dot, yeah. All right, here's my last one here. And I mean, this isn't something that actually happens in movies, but I like the question anyway. Who is the most likely to be turned into a zombie, but have the determination to fight the change and come back at the last possible second to save the day? Reed. I feel like that is the highest compliment you could give in this really warped zombie outbreak game. I try. I try. Please. All right. I got to let you go. Big thank you for your time today and huge congratulations on the wild season two. I cannot you. wait to see more.
1: Thank you so much.